we got the alternative energy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. The Radioactive Show is produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. I'm Emma Crunch, and in today's show I speak with Barbara O'Dwyer and Ludmilla Quitko, two long-term organisers involved with the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, or WILPF. We explore a report released in May 2021 by WILPF Australia called Militarisation in Australia, Normalisation and Mythology. We had a really interesting discussion about this timely research over a conference call. Here it is. Hello, Ludmilla and Barb. Thanks for joining us on the Radioactive Show. Could you both begin by introducing yourselves, um, how you came to be working with WILP or the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and your involvement more generally with the peace movement? Let's start with Barb. Okay. Um, yes, Barbara Dwyer. I've, I've been with WILP for quite a long time. I've been on the WILP board for, oh, I was on it for about nearly 12 years, and I was president for two terms, so that was nearly eight years that I was president for. So I've had pretty close involvement um, in, in everything to do with WILP for a very long time. Um, just to follow up on that, WILP is an international organisation, but you've been very involved in the Australian chapter. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And how about yourself, Ludmilla? Uh, yeah, I have been involved with WILP for quite some time and, and more broadly in... Um, issues around uh, gender equality and women, peace and security and um, gender and development. Um. And WILPF uh, Australia have recently published a report called Militarisation in Australia, Normalisation and Mythology. I've got through most of it so far. It's very comprehensive in its coverage. Could you give us an overview of the report and why it was important to conduct this research at this time? It's a big question. Um, who'd like to start? I'll, I'll, I'll just give a, a brief um, explanation. Let Miller can elaborate. I one of the one of the main objectives of WILP is is literally um, to demilitarise the world, if you like. Um, and we were concerned that. In Australia, there was just there just seemed to be an increasing level of militarisation, where the military seemed to be becoming more. Uh, well, there was more expenditure on 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 um, defence. There was more involvement of the military in all sorts of activities. There was the um, uh, the the policy to make Australia a, a major armaments manufacturer, a whole range of things that just... And, you know, an increasing focus more on, on everything military and the general public seemed to be very accepting of it without without any particular um, 
not necessarily criticism, but without any real awareness that, that this militarisation was increasing, you know, in, including the, the involvement of the military in domestic um, crises, for, you know, mm. like bushfires and floods, etc. So we just we just thought that what we would like to do is, is gather as much quantitative data as we could to try and um, uh, form a, a basis for the sorts of advocacy we would like to do on reducing militarisation in Australia and, and raising public awareness that, that it was happening and we can, so that we could use that, that report and build on it um, and use it for all our advocacy work. Mm. So, Lamella, if you did you want to um, uh, yeah. elaborate on that? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think that you've probably gathered fairly much that um, Wilf uh, has been working for universal disarmament and build, trying to build peace around the globe for quite a while. It's a long-standing uh, international organisation. In fact, we turned 106 this year. But one of the things that's really become fast evident for us um, is that it's not enough to just talk about militarisation, but what we actually need to do is to systematically um, unpack all the layers and processes and the linkages and the, the roots that underpin what's become legitimised um, and normalised and part of our mythology around militarisation. And then that helps us understand um, how and why militarisation continues to grow um, here in Australia, but also globally and gain acceptance and, and popularity. So it's this, this is partially why we call it normal, called the report Normalising and Mythology, because um, normalising mythology is something that has really come to be an active and clear part of the way that Australians have thought about um, the role of the military, the role of security, budgeting for, for new arms, um, export industries um, over the last 10 years and it has really, I think, been able to shine a light on it during this COVID period where every other part of our lives in Australia um, people have had to really uh, hang tight and look at how they spend their money and here we are looking at military spending increasing and military engagement in Australia increasing across the board. So what we did was we focused on three different themes and aspects to highlight this. Um, the first was around uh, the Defence Department's uh, policy and ever-increasing annual budgets. And then the second part um, was around defence industry expansion and military industry links. And the third part, the engagement of the Australian Defence Force and the Defence Department in the domestic arena, which Barb has um, spoken about there, uh, including through things like lots of uh, social campaigning and advertising and communication strategies. Not things that we sort of necessarily think of um, as a military approach. Mm. So some really significant trends there. And perhaps we could begin by looking at that the first section and the increase in spending um what have have the government provided policy or reasons around that like what justification have they attempted to provide for this increase in spending it's quite 
um, is it fifty percent over the ten years of the total? It's quite defense striking, fund? isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, I think that that's probably one of the things that most people would would automatically think about too when they're thinking about uh, defense and defense budgets. Um, there's two really important. Um, policy papers that the government has put out over the last 10 years. Um, the first one in 2016, which was the Defence White Paper, and then the second, which came out last year in 2020, the Defence Strategic Update. And they're essentially the, the groundwork and the basis for justification for moving through into what um, the Australian government these as the directions for military spending and um, and the policy justifications. So, um, in uh, 2016, uh, the objective there was to, and I'll just quote, deter, deny and defeat attacks on or threats to Australia and its national interests. Um, and that meant including... Um, Moving in terms of a sort of global uh, global objectives, and then in 2020 we we moved this along a little bit further um, into strategic military priorities to shape, deter, and respond in the context of what is perceived to be an increasingly hostile strategic environment. <laughs> and if you think about some of the uh, commentary and discussions that we've been hearing in terms of geopolitics in our region um, and in Australia, you'll begin to think about um, this uh, regional environment that's constantly referred to, and I'm here I'm being pretty specific in terms of saying the geopolitics of what's happening in the Asia-Pacific region, and particularly the posturing around what might be the relationship with China. Mm. But it's also woven through the foreign policy woven through aid funding, international education, economic engagement. So it's it's that argument and the policy justification to provide a safe and secure Australia and normalising and reinforcing that mythology and rhetoric around keeping Australia safe with increasing militarisation. And of course, you know, that builds on our historical legacy of colonialism colonisation of Australia's mm. Indigenous people, as well as the Anzac tradition. So we're not starting from scratch here. We have a history of building that um, military militarisation into our normal response to situations, normalisation, but also the militarisation of Australia. And mm. I'm sure Barb would like to add something to the history, historical analysis there as well. Mm. I, I, I think... But um, uh, the whole Anzac myth, as it's as some people phrase it now, is really significant in how um, just in how the general public views um, the military that we had, and the the Anzac was was not something that had particular prominence for a long time and it was I mean it was always there but it's been in more recent years that it's had more and more prominence and we've had um, increasing numbers of I mean partly due to the 100th anniversary of, of Gallipoli but there's been increasing numbers of people attending Anzac 
um, services, for instance, on you know on Anzac Day, huge numbers, much more so than than over the you know previous years. And then there's been increasing um, presence of the military on public occasions. I mean, every every you know there's, there seems to be hardly any occasion where there's not some sort of military presence, even if it's just plane, you know, um, Air Force planes flying over. Mm. Um, it's just, it's grown and grown to, to such an extent that it's just become, you know, as we've called this report, normal to see the military involved. In. And then, of course, you know, with the whole um, involvement of the military in, in uh, natural disasters and now COVID, of course, um, just so many... Um, occasions where you see military uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with seeing military uniforms, but if it's becoming such a normal thing just to see the military um, in places where we hadn't been used to seeing them or not so prominently, that um, that it's the the worrying thing, you know, for, for Wilps, if you like, was that... If this becomes such a normal thing for the military to be so involved, what? How would we feel if there was more um, overt um, presence of the military? If there were, if there were other sorts of crises, where I mean, there's. It, it's it's only recently that there was legislation came in the, the Defence Legislation Act quote uh, that that covers aid to civilian authorities. It gave the government it gives the government power to call out the armed forces on domestic soil mm-hmm. against perceived threats to Commonwealth interests. Well, I mean that's a pretty broad authority that it's got then, because what would be the threats to Commonwealth interests? Are they are they just natural disasters? But if but you know with the pandemic that's taking it a step further. There could be even more things. So far we don't see the military carrying guns anywhere, of course. But what if it did get to that stage? If people don't begin to see that, you know, that not just that their freedoms could be encroached on, but that they could really be threatened by their own military. Mm. I mean, this is not paranoia. This is something that we're, we're concerned that it could just gradually happen without people being really aware that they are being encroached on by the military domestically. This report that we've done is really, I mean, without being overly dramatic about things, we just want to raise people's awareness of the trends towards greater militarisation and to make people aware that this is this is happening. Yeah, thank you. Um, a lot of a lot of thoughts came from that. I think. It's interesting to reflect that the Northern Territory intervention emergency response was, you know, uh, an obvious instance of the military coming in and civilian affairs and I think was, you know, because of Aboriginal peoples and communities' history with the military, the Australian government invasion, um, their experience from mm. accounts was, you know, they were quite alarmed and felt threatened and the kinds mm. of things you're describing. So it's interesting also to think about how different communi- communities and marginalised groups within Australia respond.
You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced at 3CR and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Crunch. I'm speaking with members of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, Barbara O'Dwyer and Ludmilla Quitko, about their recent report into militarisation in Australia. You can look up and read the report for yourself at wilpf.org.au. That's W-I-L-P-F dot org dot A-U. An aspect that I found interesting and hadn't been so aware of was that the some of this investment in the military and defence has been very tied to like boosting Australia's economy and future industries that are being promoted. And there was the quote that I think was in the report from Paul Daly, which said, where once it was a sheep's back, then farm equipment, cars and minerals, now it seems Australia is aiming low, seeking to build an international reputation on the ever greater export of killing machines. Um, and I think that's an aspect that probably the broader public aren't as a, aren't aware of. That's a really great point, um, and that I was going to quote that if you hadn't quoted it, <laughs> yeah. um, because uh, I think that's when you asked earlier about how do, how does uh, the Australian government justify what sort of policies does it use to justify increasing militarisation? One of the other key policies areas is the expansion of the export arms industry um, and that was announced a couple of years ago with uh, uh, the aim of trying to make Australia one of the top 10 arms exporters um, and that this is marketed as a job creation strategy um, and uh, it's a, a very interesting kind of rhetoric. One of the frustrations of uh, doing some of the work in this area has been that everything that we've sourced in the report comes from public sources um, and it's it's um, very well footnoted and um, available for everybody to go and check um, the details and the sources of this. One of the areas that it's not so easy to get information though is in the area of um, around defence industry um, and Right now, um, it's quite difficult to actually get a straight answer on, in fact, how many jobs are being produced. But the more important question that should be being asked behind this is, do people actually understand what it is that we're selling here? What we're selling Mm -hmm. is the ability for arms to be sold to other countries where the arms will be used to kill people. I mean, it's a fairly fundamental kind of um, statement Mm. Uh, and an incredibly um, you know disturbing one where essentially uh, we're getting parliamentarians justifying the sales of arms as being the rationale for which we can then build a jobs creation industry in, in Australia so we really want to highlight that with people and to ask them to seriously think about what, in fact, that means for our country, what it, what it actually says about priorities and values in this country as well around promoting this. And um, I know that um, 
3PR has been involved in tracking what's happening in, in Brisbane right now with the mm. Land Forces uh, conference that's going on and the marketing that, that's taken on around that, um, advertising themselves as the region's largest land defence expo and the world's first since the pandemic. So apparently we can organise a major arms expo in Queensland without any problems. But we can't organise to get the thirty to 40,000 Australians who are stuck overseas back into our country or enough funds to support um, people who might be suffering in Victoria right now um, as uh, workers who've lost their jobs because of being locked down again. So I think it really asks us to, to ask ourselves about what are our priorities as a government as a community, in terms of arms export industry, it's it's difficult when there's already so much spun, f- funding and investment in the military and defence. As you say, I guess the the really challenging thing is about this normalisation because how do you build arguments and build a movement against that creeping normalisation when you know it's the very thing that it becomes. Um, something which to us feels um, unacceptable that our government are making these kind of choices and priorities um, begins to be accepted as normal or accepted as a baseline. Mm. And I think that that's where it's um, disturbing to see that the trajectory really reinforced in the in last year's new defence strategic update, which basically emphasises that Australia have a greater self-reliance in terms of its defence posture, but that it actually lacks the complementary diplomatic efforts um, and extends the militarisation of Australia's international kind of engagement, um, including in the region. Um, How do we justify ourselves not being dragged into a some kind of unnecessary conflict or, in fact, precipitating it by, in quotes, accident. So, and then we look at the, what's going on in our region in terms of COVID and how we might uh, look at supporting um, the countries in our region with respect to COVID. So it, it almost positions us in a sort of way that military responses are the only responses. And this is something that will... Um, has long highlighted and criticised quite strongly um, and pushed to uh, develop an understanding of peace and security as human security, not military security. And that's partially why we wrote this report as well, is to get people to start thinking in different ways around what it is that makes us safe, what it is that makes us secure, that there are different ways to think about this uh, other than to think about it in military terms, in terms of uh, building arms, in terms of justifying it with respect to um, uh, building an arms industry Mm. that uh, has us using that as a job creation program. Why aren't we, in this time of COVID, in a chance to reset, rethink, not using the creative energies that exist in Australia to move forward in other kinds 
of security, um, secure jobs, industrial development. Uh, we don't see that discussion. We see this kind of reinforcement over and over again of the military language. And I think that that's something that we really need to become attuned to and think about the fear that comes with that. So we have a COVID pandemic going on globally and we have uh, reinforcement of the military picture, um, the, the strategic situation going on in our region, um, preparedness, in our, in our newspapers, on our television um, programs, in, in our media, in our social media, reinforcing security and safety being in terms of military uh, initiatives. I mean, it, it clearly isn't mm. as we sit here and as you sit there in Victoria under lockdown. Mm. Yeah, thank you. I think it's... Um human security as opposed to defence security is a really useful conceptual way to think about it. The report's kind of like a baseline um, of the last 10 years of here's here's what we know about defence policy and budget, here's what we know at this point about um, export arms industry and here's what we've uh, been tracking about the integration of the domestic um, militarisation into all sorts of other aspects in Australian society. But what it does is, is uh, it also just asks people to think about what this actually means and raises a whole series of questions about what are, what are the implications for us if we keep on going, you know? And that's really what we'd like. Um, you asked us at the very beginning about how do you move forward with these kinds of ideas and challenges to normalisation. Um, we'd like people to really pick up on the areas that they're interested in, whether it's something like STEM or whether it's an interest of what's going on in their neighbourhood and there's a new industrial development. Ask those questions. Go and find out about what's going on. Ask questions about what these um, different industrial and military um, developments are going to contribute to. Find mm. out who's doing them. And actually start that discussion in a different way where... Uh, the people of Australia, the uh, communities, begin to actually ask the questions of what militarisation means in their own country. Thank you to Barbara and Ludmilla from the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom for a great discussion. Look up the report for yourself at wilpf.org.au and get involved. Here at The Radioactive Show, we will continue to track these issues of militarisation and peace building. The Radioactive Show is recorded in the studios of 3CR on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We're broadcast nationally thanks to the Community Radio Network. To have a listen to this and our previous shows, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. Thanks to the ACE Collective of Friends of the Earth for their support of our show. I've been Emma Crunch and here's to a nuclear-free and peaceful future. 
Cause we got the alternative energy Follow me, kill our free autonomy